Good morning, everybody. It's uh, lovely to see you. If you're a visitor this morning, um, we do trust that you'll uh, uh, really uh, meet with God and, and, and have uh, some good fellowship uh, with us here. Um, actually, look, you look quite impressive all out there, uh, going back into the distance. Uh, so uh, uh, let, let, let's trust that you're, you're going to enjoy this. I'm a little bit concerned. What is this down? Is this a dribble mat here? Oh, that's all right. I thought I thought that you know word had got out about my little bit of a problem, but um, clearly uh, it hasn't. Bec- I was sitting there thinking all due to worship. I wonder why they put that there. Um, so that's raised the tenor of it a little bit, hasn't it? Right. No, no, no. It's fine. I I might dribble anyway. So. <laughs> We're, we're going to look at some scriptures in a moment, but um, uh, before we do, um, I just thought that we, we, we'd sort of look about where we are. Um, and uh, actually, we, we've passed through uh, what's known as the most uh, stressful times for relationships ever uh, at Christmas. Whether it's, it's family or friendship or even social or, or, or secular there are more disputes, particularly des- domestic disputes, some of a violent nature at Christmas time than at any other time of the year. Did you know that? It's, it's more stressful. So if you've got through it without having, uh, having had words or a hissy fit or anything, you've done, you've done very well. Um, I did, mainly because of my kind, placid and considerate <laughs> nature, as you can imagine. Um, but uh, that happens. But it all comes down, doesn't it, to confrontations of one sort or another. We confront people. We confront each other. We, we speak our mind. So you get confrontations between husbands and wives or parents and children. And in the wider family, uh, it can escalate very, very quickly and become, can become really harmful to all concern. Confrontations, actually, between uh, family, friends, or workmates can be ever so difficult to handle. Things blow up so quickly, and then you're left with what, what, what remains. Some people can be very direct, to almost to the point of rudeness, whilst others shy away from being honest, either through fear or of not wanting to hurt another person's feelings. But actually, there comes a time when sometimes we do have to confront. Sometimes we do have to face issues, and when there's no alternative other than taking a a, a deep breath and plunging in. And uh, I'm sure all of us have had this uh, from one, uh, one time or another. You're, you're, you're suddenly faced with this issue and you think, if I go away from here now, I will lose it completely. And I've really got to stand firm and, 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 and deal with this. And uh, I might have told you the story when I was um, in a, with a probation officer and uh, I had a, a guy on parole who had, who had uh, was on parole? He'd been he'd done a seven-year term of prison, so he he, he was a serious serious uh, bank robber. Um, he was a guy who would take a shotgun and blow your legs off without any problems or second thoughts at all. 
and uh, I took over this country area and um, uh, on my books was this guy. Um, and uh, I, I wrote to him a couple of times asking to, uh, him to come and see me, keep his appointments, uh, as he had to do for his parole licence, and he refused to do so. And in the end, I sent him one more letter and said, unless you come and keep this next appointment, I will have no alternative but to have you recalled to prison. And I could do that. I could pick up the phone and he will be recalled just like that. The area I covered was very remote. Uh, and, and my office was actually, uh, anybody who knows that, you know, Upfield, Upfield Courthouse. And uh, I was in this office, this whole building, on my own. And in strode this figure. He must have been six foot three or four. He was a, a mean looking bloke. And he said, are you Dave Simpkins? Now here am I, five foot four, sitting at a desk. Um, and he said, I want you to know, mate, that I am not one of your funny little gits that goes round Nicky Mars bars from Woolworths. No one tells me what to do. And it was a confrontational moment. <laughs> and uh, I thought to myself, what do I do now? If I back down now, I have lost it. And in actual fact, I took a deep breath and said, well... <laughs> Either you do it my way, or you do it back in the prison. Which do you prefer? And he said, all right then, let's do it your way. And, and it, it calmed right the way down. Uh, but that was an awful confrontational moment. That guy, by the way, is now serving a life sentence for murder. Because later on, he went and blew someone's head off. So this was the sort of character he was. So sometimes we do have, we do have to confront issues. Plain speaking is often necessary, as is keeping a real sense of perspective and of not going over the top. So let's just look at some scriptures now. I've got to go back one, I think. So... We're, 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 as a church, we started a study in Galatians, and uh, Nigel last week kicked it off. It should have been in these August surroundings, but it wasn't. Uh, but he, he did the first six verses, first five verses of Galatians, and we're going to go through Galatians. Now, when Nigel told me before Christmas that this is what we will be doing, um, I started as my daily readings, reading through Galatians. Now, the Galatians is only six chapters. Actually, guys, you can read it easily within about 40 minutes, right the way through. Uh, but I've been immersing myself in, in Galatians, um, and also I've been immersing myself uh, in, in a study of Acts, because Acts and Galatians go together. Can I suggest, if you've made a New Year's resolution of reading the scripture, that you actually do this, that you actually go home, uh, and whatever time you allocate for this, you start to read through the book of Galatians. It's very short, it's very interesting, and it's very much to the point. So Paul starts off, and you will see straight away that he is confronting an issue. He says, I am astonished 
that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. You imagine going to church one morning and they say, hey guys, we've got a letter from Paul to read to you and this is it. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. What? Who? Me? Yes. Which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion. Are you confused? Well, Rupert always looks confused, but that's his beard. (coughs) Um, Are you confused? This is what... So... Are you confused? Some people, it says here, are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him go. No, let him be eternally condemned. Very strong in-your-face words coming from here. Incidentally, the Mormons believe that an angel came from God and gave them another gospel. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. He's saying here, I haven't got something elsewhere this came from Jesus himself it's the gospel from Jesus for you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers but when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. But I went immediately into Arabia and then later returned to Damascus. Then, after, eh? What the next one? Right, forgot about that. I've got the page here. I don't know why I didn't realise that. Thank you. At least some of you are staying awake there. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him for 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing to you is no lie. Later I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us 
is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. This is why it's important actually to read a bit of Acts to go with this because you can start to see what went on. So if you start to read Acts uh, about 8 or 9 and, 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 and there on, you'll start to pick up the flavour and some of the events that were happening uh, at about that time. Paul, in his letter to the Galatians, is deeply disturbed by events that have happened there. What happened was that he uh, and uh, Barnabas and Mark had been sent out by the church at Antioch onto this first missionary journey, this first journey to reach the Gentiles. And they'd gone into Galatia, which is now part of modern-day Turkey, and they had planted churches here and here and here and here. And the people had responded brilliantly to the gospel. They'd accepted it, Jews and Gentiles, mainly Gentiles. But then, within a year or so of launching that first missionary journeys, reports started to come in of people going behind him and talking about another gospel. Paul, who'd seen, and these people who'd seen God moving so mightily, uh, as many Jews and Gentiles have embraced the faith uh, of Christ as Saviour and Lord, the reports start coming in. Have you heard what's happening around you? What these people were saying was that something was missing, that the Galatians hadn't received the whole gospel. Salvation depended not on faith, but in observing the law. So Paul starts to speak in a, a, a no-nonsense fashion. He starts to tell them, what are, you go what are you doing, guys? What's happening to you? The matter is serious. They must understand the danger they are in. It's very clear to Paul they are in a dangerous situation faith-wise. So, what is the issue? Well, it's simple as this, really. Is it going to be that these new Gentile Christians adopt the Jewish religion... Or are they going to have a new life in Jesus? Is it, simply put, observance of the law versus freedom in Christ? The battle lines are being drawn between the old covenant and the new. Let's go back a bit. In Jerusalem... And Judea, many Jews had an enormous cost, and we mustn't overlook this, they had an enormous cost accepted Jesus Christ. They, this Jesus, they had come to realise, was the promised Messiah. So they turned away from their old Jewish uh, temple worship and accepted that Jesus Christ had come. He was the long-promised 
Messiah. They, the, he was the Messiah that was spoken of down the ages by the prophets. These Jewish Christians embraced this uh, new faith wholeheartedly. They accepted it. They understood it. We read in, in Acts that 3,000 were added at the day of Pentecost. And a little bit later, another 5,000 came into being. Huge numbers of people. They, the, at the time of, the, of Stephen, there were many, many thousands of new Christians. And then persecution came, which Paul uh, was part of. But crucially, they still held on to their Jewish roots, of which they were so proud. You spoke to a Jew today, they are very proud of their ancestry. They're very proud of their background. As Jews, they were well used to uh, new converts coming in, uh, becoming Jews from right the way across the Roman world and, and the known world and beyond. So they were used to having people becoming Jewish by faith. We can read, haven't we, uh, in, in, again in Acts, you can read of the Jewish, of, of the Roman centurion who became Jewish, actually, before he became a Christian. He was a believer before he became a Christian. At Pentecost, we read in Acts again that, that Jerusalem was packed with, with Jews from right the way across the known world. Jesus himself spoke of the evangelistic zeal that they had. He said of the Pharisees that they would go over land and sea to gain a convert. But once they'd got one, they then proceeded to make them even more legalistic than they were. That's what they were doing. So for the Jewish Christians, known as Judaizers, they believed that the new Gentile converts also had to embrace the Jewish way. They had to observe the law. They had to be circumcised and separate themselves from non-Jews. We are Jewish. You've come into our faith. You've accepted our Messiah. Now you must conform to what we're doing. You must conform. You must actually take on these practices. They look back to the original covenant. They said, but if you go into Genesis uh, 17, you will see the covenant there where it says we will become circumcised. We become a separate people. We will become numerous. That's what you must do. You now, guys, must accept all of what we believe. You must accept our religion. You must accept our faith. You must accept our traditions. But Paul recognized that if the Gentile Christians adopted Jewish practices and lifestyle, it would have made life impossible for them living and working in their Gentile culture. Because Jewish people separated themselves. They became a separate enclave. Rather like if we look today and we see various people coming in from uh, other countries, immigrants, they become a little enclave of their own. They become a little group. So it may be Polish or it may be, may be um, uh, 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 people from uh, Afghanistan or Libya, that they become a separate enclave and they, they adopt their, 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 their own uh, culture. 
My mother uh, was Italian, and uh, uh, she, they, they, came, they came over. They had Italians came over uh, before Mussolini came into the, uh, in, uh, in, in the 20s. They came over into, into England. And, and they established themselves there. Now, my mother came from uh, a little village called Fubini uh, in, 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 in northern Italy. And there was, a, there was a Fubinese society. Do you like the way I rolled off my tongue? Good, wasn't it? You're impressed, weren't you? I could see that. Um, doesn't, be, doesn't, doesn't sound like Italian at all. But anyway, unfortunately, Gina's not here to test me out. But they actually formed a little society. And, and, and they would gather annually every year, would they not? We went to, to one or two of them where they would celebrate uh, their, their Italian and their, 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 their culture and their Fubini or Fubinese uh, uh, background. They, they relished it. That's what they did. That's what they do. And we've got the same when we go abroad. We, we, we form little knots of the expats all gathering together, speaking English and moaning that the, that the Spaniards don't speak English properly. Uh, so that's what happens. They were used to that. But that wouldn't have done any good for the new Christians. They would have just been another sect. They'd have been another little segment of society. Jesus foresaw this. He said what the Jews were trying to do was to marry up the old and the new covenants. It went directly against all that Jesus had already taught. He said this, about new wineskins. Jesus said, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do men pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved you cannot he was really saying here marry the old covenant to the new but I can imagine that when he said those words and maybe when these words were repeated again and again and again people would say ah right he said he's right there you know you can't put new wine into old wine I did that once and the old wine all fell over ah. but he wasn't talking about housekeeping <laughs> That, that was, that was a, an authentic Jewish uh, uh, accent, you understand there? Um, and, ah, oh, shut up. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> no, I've spent hours on this, hours on this. <laughs> Some of the things that Jesus said, you see, made sense but the real reality of it didn't really come into being until later that's actually happened to us lots and lots that actually some of the things that are in scripture we are rediscovering and rediscovering as applying to us now here today new wineskins Jesus foresaw a situation arising and warned his disciples that the old and the new would not mix and indeed will cause real problems. And I feel sure that Paul worked out the theology of much of this in his wilderness years. You see, when we read some of this stuff quickly, 
I went here and I went there and then I went this and then I did that. We don't actually think what actually happened at that time. We tend to forget that once Paul had had his sight restored on that Damascus Road experience, he took himself off into what he calls Arabia for over three years. Paul had to relearn all that he'd understood before. In the light of what Jesus showed him on that Damascus Road and in his three years of self-imposed exile. What happened then? What did he do? Well, he says that he'd been well-schooled in, into the work of a, a, an understanding and the culture of Jewishness and Pharisee, Pharisaic teaching. He understood it. He knew it. He held it very firmly. This was his faith. This was his heritage. This is what he believed. Then Jesus came and changed it all for him. He had to go away and rethink all that he knew in the light of what had been revealed. And it took three years. Paul was a brilliant scholar. He had a brilliant mind, probably one of the best minds that we've ever known. It took him three years to work it out. Can you imagine sitting in? So therefore, if that applies, how does this apply? That can't apply. It must be this. It must be something else. I can say, ah, I understand. He worked it through in his own mind. Beloved, can I say to you about your Christian faith? You need to work it out what you believe. You need to understand what you do believe. Paul wrote in a, it to Timothy, he said, I know what I've believed and I'm convinced that it's going to hold me to that day when Jesus comes. It's a slight paraphrase. I know what I've believed. Do you know what you've believed? Can you give a good report of what you believe? Can you tell people of what you believe simply and easily without going into sort of Old Testament speak. During that time, he'd undergone a dramatic, life-changing experience as he went over again and again, examining what he believed. It was an experience that was so dramatic, so life-changing, that it was to remain with him to the very end of his days. Paul had been a, a wide-eyed, wildfire zealot for his Jewish beliefs. He was on fire for it. He devoted years of study and was regarded as advancing in the faith well beyond his years. His zeal caused him to take firm action against this new sect that was arising, this Jesus sect, this people following the cross. And he went across the whole of Palestine, throwing people into prison. He was responsible, and if you read right the way through Acts, you will find it comes again and again. He was responsible for many, many, many of these new Christians being imprisoned and probably stoned to death. And he was there giving his uh, authority to it. This part of his life, uh, he came to regret Deeply regret, not just say, I'm sorry about that. No, he deeply regretted it. It burned in him. You read some of his writings and you will find it comes up again and again. I was responsible. I, Paul, was responsible for killing many people. And he was 
rather like a man who we, we sometimes have when, when we hear their testimony and say, you know, I was a drug addict or I was a drunk or I was a thief and I did this and then I found Christ. And the, the, the change for them is so dramatic that they can't stop talking about it. But when Paul re-emerged from this self-imposed exile, he had a clarity and understanding of the gospel that's reflected in the life he gave to the church, spreading amongst the Gentiles and reaching down to our present age and time. This renewal resulted in his realigning and, where necessary, discarding his previous religious understanding and practices where they went against what God had revealed to him. And this is a constant mark of renewal everywhere. When God breaks through or breaks in, we have to go back almost invariably to the drawing board. We have to go back past church history, past church practice to the drawing board. We have to go back to the Bible and realign our thinking and our understanding and practice with what God is revealing to us. And that's what happened when renewal came. Suddenly the Holy Spirit in the 60s and 70s suddenly came in and people started getting changed and people had to think through some of the stuff that was happening to them. Some of the stuff didn't fit comfortably with church and they had to go over that again. Some of them, some of the people in this room had to leave churches and start meeting in somebody's sitting room or a cold hall like this because they couldn't marry in with their teaching. And what happens, revelation comes and, and change, changes things. And then practice becomes the usual, the normal. This is why we constantly try and stir up what we're doing here. We constantly try and say to you, don't settle back. We're constantly trying to say to you, look, don't take the norm. Take the life of God. And that's why Nigel rants quite regularly, quite rightly, because he's saying to us, come on, yes, that's you. Yeah, he, he's saying to us, come on now, don't settle back. Don't accept, don't let it become church dogma. Don't let it become church, church practice, that this is how we do it in our church. That, that we have somebody up there playing a guitar or a keyboard or both, not at the same time, but, and, 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 and we do this for 40 minutes and then we, then we sing in tongues and then we... No, no, it's the Holy Spirit coming upon the church. That's what we're striving to make sure. So that we see it becoming and happening around us. So one of the questions we have to ask you is, how has becoming a Christian affected your life and ambitions? Have we changed, not just becoming nicer people, because, oh, he's a Christian now, or she's a Christian now, or they don't do those sort of things. No, it's more than that, guys. It's more than being a nice person, or for some of you, it is being a nice person, and you haven't got there yet, but uh, it's, it's more than that. It's a change within us. It's our desire to see God working in all that we do. So when we come together uh, on a Sunday and at midweek, connect groups, got it right, guys. Uh, uh, What's happening to us? What are we going for? Are we settling back to a usual, normal, this is how we do house group, cell group, connect group? Or is it lively? Is it, uh, is, it, is it 
really living with the Holy Spirit? Are we hearing from God? Are we responding? Are we responding to his prompting? See, we can look to evangelistic endeavors, whether on a one-to-one basis or when we do things as a group. But life will change for us as we embrace what God wants to do here, daily, weekly. This hall will be filled as we and others experience the outpouring of God. Do you believe that? This will become... But we can go on the streets, we can give out leaflets, we we can knock on doors, we can put adverts in the paper, we can do all sorts of things, and we will do some of those things. But... It's what happens here when the people of God come together that will change our town. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? It's what happens here. Sometimes we have to be just obedient to hearing and doing what God is whispering to us in our spirits. We have to be prepared to move out of our chairs. We're committed as 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 a leadership to hearing from God Will your faith rise to it? See, Nigel said to me some weeks ago, he said, We've got to, I'm going to pray more for healing. And, and, and he did it this morning, did he? Did you notice? Did you feel a change? Did anything happen? Did you step out in faith? Did you say, yes, Lord, I've got a whatever it is you've got? Or did you say, yeah, 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 yeah. What's it doing next? How long is it? Of course, it's cold in here. I hope the coffee's hot when we get there. Uh, was it, you can blow this stuff away, guys. You can blow it away. You really can. Or you can say, no, this is what we believe. We believe that God moves amongst his people today. That he moves in his church. And I want to be part of that. See, Paul understood that Jesus had come to fulfill the law and by his atoning work on the cross had made man right with God through his faith in Jesus. So there was therefore no need to follow the law and its requirements. That's what he'd worked out in, a, in, in that desert time. There's no need. The law doesn't meet us. The law doesn't provide us. The law hasn't got the answer. The law led us to the cross. The cross has now set us free. So if Paul were to uh, allow these new converts, or us for that matter, to follow the old ways, they and us, we would be no better off. All the heart of the matter is, at the heart of the matter is the fact that we cannot earn our salvation by doing good and doing it right. Or by following the law. A little later on, uh, at the end of the, almost near the end of the chapter, he writes these words. And he, it, I could have actually picked several bits up here to, to refer to in this, in this book. But he says this, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision or the law, basically, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. 
you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. It's grace that we live in. Grace that saves us. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Very clear. So what about us? So as we <coughs> go into this new year, in this new setting, what thoughts do we have about the future? What are we going to ask God for? For ourselves and for our church. Well, we can ask for a bit warmer room for a start. That wouldn't go amiss, would it? Uh, it will be warmer next time we come in, guys, when this, when this room has been heated up and used regularly during the week. And thank you for sitting so patiently, uh, even though, and keeping your che- teeth from not from chattering uh, while we talked. But what are we asking for ourselves as a church? What are we asking for ourselves as individuals? What do we want from 2010? I'm not asking you whether you've made New Year's resolutions or not, but what do you want? Have you come before God and said, Lord, this year I'd like to be able to do This year I'd like to do this. You see, this gospel that we have must radically change our lives if in turn it's to radically change this town and the people of North Wales. We've got a calling on our life. We want to see ourselves moving forward. Part of that is experiencing God. Part of that is making things happen. Part of that is unruly meetings, I'm afraid untidy meetings part of that is people getting saved and people getting healed and people getting delivered in the middle of the praise and worship much to Anne's consternation because he's messing up her songs there she doesn't mind or in the middle of Nigel or Nigel not even better preach sometimes that's something to ask God for isn't it alright God coming seriously though God coming and it's going to mean some of you getting up out of your seats it's going to mean some of you feeling God talking to you and telling you to do something, to go over there and pray for this person or to, to talk to that one. Don't get messy and muddly. There are people coming and going. It's people hearing from God, people hearing and seeing what God wants to say and to do. It's people like Rupert or Nigel or myself when, whenever they're anchoring the meeting not knowing what to do next because so much stuff is happening. That's when God's moving. And that's what we want. So Paul was saying, don't settle back. Don't go back into the old. Don't settle back into the old way of doing things. No, you can't marry these two things together. We're going to look more as we go through this passage uh, about some of the things that Paul says. But I felt it's important today to just set that scene about what he was speaking, what he was coming against. So I'm going to stop there.